Welcome to Career Chin Wax for the 21st Century. My name is Catherine Cunningham and I'm a career specialist who's worked with thousands of people by now. And so what I'm trying to do in this podcast series is tap into things that I've learned, things that I've come to understand over the years to help people better manage their careers and be happier at work. So I want to talk first about MBTI. I love it. It's my favorite work. And if I'm, if I'm working with somebody who's not happy at work and they only have one hour to work with me, I always recommend MBTI because if you can uncover your hardwired preferences rather than learned behavior or learned skills, you can use that information to decide what sort of work to do. So, for example, when I was at the bank, my spreadsheets were basically full of errors because I don't have natural attention to detail. Now, since then, I've learned attention to detail. Anybody who works with me on resumes gets pretty amazed at everything I spot. So, yes, I can have attention to detail, but do I want to be in a job all day where I have to absolutely focus on the task at hand and notice every slight little issue? I can tell you no. So where does it come from? I want to give you a little bit of theory before we start. I'm going to look at the four separate letters, M-B-T-I, one at a time, and that will help you understand it. And I'm going to start at the back. So the I stands for indicator. MBTI is not a test. So if you go online and do one of those free versions, it's pretty well a waste of time. It is only an indicator. As an accredited practitioner, I'm bound by the ethics to only ever deliver the assessment with the debrief. Many times people think when they do the assessment that they're, for example, an ENTP, and it's only when you properly explore hardwired preferences in the debrief that they may, for example, come to understand they're not an extrovert, that was learned behaviour, they're actually fundamentally an introvert. So it's an indicator, not a test. The next letter I want to look at is the T. The T stands for type. And there's two issues to look at here. The first one is there are 16 types or 16 possibilities. And that is both the strength and weakness of MBTI. The strength is, from a career perspective, when people get their profile, it's like this aha light bulb moment. Often the comment is, I cannot believe this is so right. The level of detail, however, means that they forget their profile. So if I rang somebody up a year later and said, look, what's your profile? They'll probably get it wrong. For our career purposes, that doesn't matter. All we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, have a think about hardwired preferences, and use that information to make career decisions. And the other aspect of type is it's not tray or trait theory. So many instruments will measure you on a continuum. They'll say you're more like this than a particular cohort or less like this. As soon as you do Myers-Briggs, you will notice that it essentially forces you into one camp or the other. Now, Myers-Briggs is based on Carl Jung's work, and apparently Carl Jung said, of course, none of us are 100% introvert or 100% extrovert, for example, but you will notice it essentially wants you to come down on one side versus the other. And the final letters are MB, and they stand for Myers-Briggs. And it was a mother-daughter combination. Catherine Briggs started in the 1920s, building on Carl Jung's work. He knew of her work. She was the first person who wanted to have a mainstream application of his work. 
So it was really the first time in the world that anybody tried to use personality preferences to help people make career decisions. Because before that, fundamentally, you did what your father did, because of course back then it was mainly men working. You did what your father did, or your career choices were extremely class-driven. Okay, let's move on to the label issue. Some people don't like MBTI because they think it labels them. Yes, it obviously does. A useful analogy, however, might be if you think about your favourite room in the house. So my favourite room in the house is my bedroom. I do a lot of work on my bed. It looks out on a garden. I love the connection with the garden. My least favourite room in the house is the laundry. If you look at MBTI, the bedroom is really where you are most comfortable, where you are most in the flow, in the zone. MBTI does not mean you don't change your behaviour. So yes, of course, I go into the laundry. I don't like the laundry. I find it quite soul-destroying, but I go into the laundry. And probably from a work point of view, the example would be me working on resumes and making sure I dot the I's and cross the T's. I don't really want to do that all day but I quite happily and skillfully go into that laundry. At a minimum, somebody talked to me about this a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. At a minimum, you could argue that those 16 types are just a description of behavior preferences, and that that's no different than the DSM-5, which is the uh, American Psychiatric Association's description of mental disorders. If you've ever looked at that, they will have a series of behaviors that they put underneath a label. The label might be, borderline personality disorder, and underneath they'll have a series of behaviours. So you could argue at a minimum MBTI is no different than that. It's a useful catch-all of behaviours that are put under a label. And finally, if you're really sceptical, there's a guy called Dr. Dario Nardi, wonderful guy. I went to one of his conferences in Brisbane a few years ago. And since 2006, he's focused on hands-on brain research. He uses real-time EEG technology to establish the link between the parts of the brain that light up when somebody's in the zone or in the flow doing an activity that matches with their MBTI preferences. If you just Google him, he has lots of information, interesting content and videos. And at the moment, he's producing content for a new book and he's slowly releasing it on LinkedIn. I had a look at his work on ENTP, which is my profile, and I found it even more fascinating. So perhaps explore that as well. Let's get started. Today, I'm finally going to get around to talking about ISTP, which is Kim's profile in our office, and I know she's been longing for me to get on with it. So this is for you, Kim. If you could sum up ISTPs, it would be doing the best I can with what I've got. ISTPs carefully observe what's going on around them. When the need arises, They move quickly to get to the core of the problem and solve it with the greatest efficiency and the least effort. So you can imagine how valuable it is to have Kim in the office. Before we move on, I'd like to talk about the four letters that make up ISTP. Very briefly. ISTP stands for Introverted, Sensing, Thinking, Perceiving. Introverted talks about a person who is energised by time spent alone rather than with others. Sensing is a person who focuses on facts and details rather than ideas and concepts. 
thinking are people who make decisions based on analysis and reason. And perceiving people are those who prefer to be spontaneous and flexible rather than planned and organised. If we look at the statistics, they're much more common amongst men than women. It's 5% of the general population, but only 2% of women and 9% of men. More statistics. It's common in populations of male college scholarship athletes. ISTPs are more likely than any other type to suffer cardiac problems. At work, they value stability, security, independence and achievement. And their personal values include autonomy. They're commonly found in careers in skilled trades, technical fields, and these days IT and logistics. They're also found in agriculture, law enforcement and military occupations. At their core, they're interested in how and why things work. They find abstract theories uninteresting unless they can quickly apply them. They enjoy the challenge of solving new, concrete and extensive problems and often function as troubleshooters. I call them practical problem solvers and they resist regimentation and rules and thrive on variety and novelty. At their core, ISTPs are likely to be analytical and logical, flexible and adaptable, factual and pragmatic, technically savvy, and as I said earlier, practical problem solvers. Let's look at some famous ISTPs. Bruce Lee, Tiger Woods, Catherine Hepburn, Clint Eastwood, and Amelia Earhart. Now, of course, I'm interested in where each type finds career satisfaction, and there's a wonderful book called Do What You Are. It's by Tiger and Barron. They talk about the 10 key drivers. I'm only going to mention five of them today. So to an ISTP, career satisfaction means doing work that lets them identify and use resources that are available to them in the most efficient manner possible. The work needs to be fun and active with frequent opportunities to get out of their workspace and be outdoors. The work needs to let them work independently with a minimum of supervision and where they're not required to closely supervise others. The work needs to let them use an economy of motion and energy and doesn't need needless routines or procedures. And the work needs to let them apply their understanding and technical knowledge of the world around them and engage in troubleshooting and problem solving. What makes ISTPs attractive to others? There's a great group of MBTI specialists on Quora and I am just gobsmacked every time I go on it about how knowledgeable they are. So this comes from there. ISTPs are attractive to others because of their innate coolness, their wickedly acerbic sense of humour, their clever banter, their laid-back vibe, their observant and perceptive nature, their mysteriously aloof demeanour that you want to solve like a puzzle, their unpretentious personality, their ability to think on their feet, their willingness to express their own opinions even if they're unpopular, their inextricable ability to be both untouchably aloof yet intensely present at the same time, their impeccable sense of style, their physical grace, how it seems 
like not a single movement they make is wasted. Their creativity, their drive to hone their craft to perfection, and their I-couldn't-care-less demeanour, coupled with the small ways in which they display affection for those they love. What are they like in the world of work? When it comes to management style, the management style of an ISTP is egalitarian, pragmatic and expedient. They do whatever needs to be done to get the job done with the least possible effort. They tend to do exceptionally well when responding to crisis situations. They manage in an action-oriented way, focusing on the job to be done, not necessarily the organisation or the people in it. Typically, IST managers tend not to be bound by conventions, systems, routines and procedures. If there's a solution to a problem or a complex situation, they tend to mobilise the forces required to get the results, even if it means cutting some red tape here and there and making up rules as they go along. What about their values? ISTP managers appreciate and value variation on just about any theme, and they enjoy the risk that goes with change. Usually the risk tends to be calculated, and at times the ISTP leader has been known to be an excellent hip shooter. ISTPs are gifted when it comes to aesthetics. They value just about any art form, relying on the five senses in their appreciation. They quickly see how colours match or blend, and they can appreciate music like no one else. When it comes to attitude, the basic attitude of ISTPs is one of optimism. They expect the lucky break, the windfall, to always be just around the corner. And therefore, as I've already mentioned, ISTP managers consider risk-taking to sometimes be the oxygen of life. Hand in hand with this attitude of optimism goes cheerfulness, sometimes blind faith, and a great deal of trust that eventually everything will move in the right direction. What about their skills? ISTPs are quite resourceful and are capable of using whatever props or resources are at hand to get the job done. Due to the fact that they tend to be unconventional, expect them to demonstrate great creativity and a desire to make things work, especially when the odds suggest otherwise. ISTPs are concrete and specific in their speech. They're usually individuals of few words, except in regard to their areas of interest. Having little interest in developing language skills, their general manner of speaking is likely to be terse and sparse, with realistic and concrete images. But the most gifted among them can use abstract language to meet their ends. When it comes to the driving force, ISTP managers have a high need for action, spontaneity and variation. Routine instructions and how to deliver day-to-day predictable performance are not their bag. When it comes to their authority orientation, probably no surprises, ISTP managers tend not to consider hierarchies and pecking orders to be important. Instead, they're egalitarian in their approach to others. They expect to be respected and obeyed, especially if they've grown up through the ranks. For ISTPs, power and authority is hardly ever a matter of rank. Rather, it's an issue of competency and ability to think on one's feet. Blind spots and pitfalls. ISTPs may focus so much on keeping things moving and on fast action that they may ignore the human element the people needs. 
They tend to look for the quick fix and may be impatient with longer range solutions. And finally, to end with a bit of light-hearted content, this is again from that group on Quora. How are you going to know if an ISDP likes you? If an ISDP likes you, you, you'll get the feeling like a cat. They'll tolerate your presence and maybe even seem to enjoy it. They're usually reserved, but they'll go out of their way to be around you more, starting a conversation with you at least once and being subtle about their interest. Don't expect too much playful flirting or touching. They're usually uncomfortable doing these things, at least in the beginning. They typically prefer it if the other person can make the first move, but they may just tell you they like you directly if they get tired of waiting. If they don't like you, they might just walk away from you while you're talking to them or ghost your text message. Where to from here? I think you can tell how much I love Myers-Briggs and how useful I think it is from a career point of view. So I think it's worth you discovering your profile. Now, there's lots of online sites where, in theory, you can do it free of charge. You need to be really careful. Um, I can always remember one of my close friends telling me she was an extrovert and she's probably one of the biggest introverts you could ever meet. So I think you do need the external practitioner who can ask you careful questions once you've completed the assessment to help you really uncover your hardwired preferences, not your learned behaviour. So as an example, if I describe my behaviour in the workplace, I would say I had very good attention to detail. But I can tell you that is learned behaviour and I am fundamentally scatty. So you really do need somebody who can draw out of you your hardwired preferences. How are you when you're in the zone, when you're in the flow? The latest MBTI that most people do is the MBTI Step 2 Interpretive Report, and I find that really useful because it will show some of those life choices. So the life choice I've made, for example, to have attention to detail, and it will discuss the implications of those life choices on your hardwired preferences. Finally, I find it so valuable in my personal life. So my husband is an ISTJ, I'm an ENTP. We're quite different from each other. We're now best, not now, we've been best friends for a long time and we get closer and closer as each year goes past. And I think it's because from my point of view, I don't judge him, I respect him. I don't like the way he shops, well, I just don't go shopping with him but I don't think he's inferior because he shops in a different way than I do. So I think the self-awareness that you have about your own preferences can help make you happier in life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you left a a note or a comment on either the website or the tool that you use to listen to this podcast or that you share it with other people. I do a podcast every few weeks. I am off to Europe in two weeks' time. And so there may be a slight delay after this podcast. I'm not sure exactly whether I'll be getting back in time to do it, but I will continue. I've vowed that I will complete all of the 16 MBTI profiles, so at a minimum I'll complete those, even if I run out of other things to say. Don't forget, I do a regular mail-out, and the mail-out might be a blog or a video or an infographic or a podcast. And if you're interested, there's a sign-up form on the website or just email the office at admin at careerconsult.com.au. As always, let's finish with my wonderful hashtag, hashtag why not be happy at work. <laughs>